0: Music morning Church welcome to the Sunday service of FCC. Uh, this week is a very it's going to be a very exciting week for Singaporeans because on Friday we get to vote for our next elected president. So whether you have made up your mind who to vote for or who not to vote for, please uh, use your vote wisely. I know that I, I mean some people say that church and state should be separated, but I think church is political. I think whatever we have in our hand to make Singapore a better place in your consideration. So please take your time to consider who to vote for. But anyway, while we are here this Sunday, let's just uh, quieten down our hearts and prepare our hearts with a call to worship. Drawn by God's presence, we gather. Inspired by God's spirit, we we worship. Empowered by God's grace, we we live. live. We are a community, embraced Embraced by by the mystery of God's God's
1: love for for all all creation.
0: We are a community that looks for the light of Christ, the The light light that shines in every time, time, every place and every every life. life. Within this dynamic community, we foster connections and experiences that bring meaning to life and help us face the issues of the day. Together we strive to live live with loving hearts, open minds, and hands extended to all. Welcome home. Amen. Amen. Let us now join the worship team for a time of worshipping together.
2: Your majesty Would well on me I was lost but You brought me in Oh your love For me Oh your love For me Who oh, the sun Sets free is free. You died for me Who oh, the sun sets free Oh, it's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I am In my Father's house There's a place for me I'm a child of God Yes I am I am chosen not forsaken I am who you say I am You are for me not against me I am who you say I I am chosen, not forsaken, I am who you sing. Feel free to clap and dance. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. So my heart, Lord, open the eyes so my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you. Bye. of us we want to see you we want to see you
3: Let us pray. God of kindness, we look to you when we are in times of trouble and difficulty. When we feel there is no one left on our side, we pray that we remember our help is in your name. When we fall short of the mark, when our frustrations take over and lead us to anger, help us to reach back to you, to find your peace and to know that our help is in your name. For the thoughts we have that go against you, for the words we have used against others that have caused hurt and bitterness, Let us take comfort in knowing your love is greater than all our errors And we thank you that our help is in your name In times of distress, when our fears engulf us And we are unable to cope with the challenges that lie before us Be our strength, be our shield Remind us that our help is in your name. Lord of heaven and earth, we give thanks that through everything we face, you are on our side. We are not stripped away. Our snares will not be broken. or Rather, they will be broken because our help is in your name. Loving God, You are a God of strength, of hope, and of mercy. You will never leave or abandon us. We thank you for the faithfulness you show towards us when we have not earned it. And we also thank you that you are constant, good, and will not leave us. We thank you that you have always been with your people, giving them comfort and guidance. God, give us courage to step out in faith, to live the lives you have called us to and not the one the world tells us to. God, give us the grace to recognize our need for support and not think that we are better than others, but rather to live fully embraced by your undeserved grace. God, give us hope that no matter what we face or the difficulties that we are dealing with right now, that you are with us, holding us, and that we turn our eyes on you You would find us and give us your truth and goodness. And now let's take a few moments to lift the prayers of our heart to God. God, you are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. You here with us. You carry us when we are weary. You give us rest and you give us hope. We pray that you take these prayers and the silent prayers of our hearts as we hand them over to you. God, may we have faith in your deliverance and timing. Forgive us when we pick up that which we have already laid at your feet. You are good and you are with us and we thank you, God. And all this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
4: We call grace A mighty river Flowing upwards From a deep but empty grave I will praise you on the mountains I will praise you When the mountains in my way You're the sun I will praise you when the valley's all the same, no less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray, you're the heaven where my heart is.
5: All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, so my name is Wendy, and I will be delivering the sermon today. Um, there's no better way to appreciate what your pastors do than to uh, prepare and, uh, and give a sermon. So, all right. Um, so as usual, um, please log into Menti, today's Menti, by scanning the QR code or going to FCC.li, L-I, slash Menti. So thank you so much for for um, joining me in, um, in putting together uh, today's sermon. Okay, so um, let's, let's pray. Let's open a word of prayer. God, I pray that you would calm my anxiety, um, that you would chase away any hesitation, and fill me with your spirit with, to deliver this message with boldness and conviction. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, so today's sermon asks the question, what does it mean to read the Bible faithfully? So the first mentee question is very simply, what words do you associate with the Bible. So what comes to mind when you think about the Bible? Okay, holy, God breathed the word. So the word breath of God comes up. Wisdom, holy, I guess the holy Bible, right? History, truth. Inspired. Love. The word of God. So I think the bigger the words, the more often it comes up. So wisdom. A book. Yep. Violence. Okay. Yeah. There is a lot of violence in, in, in God's word, yeah, or in the Bible, I should say <clears throat> arbitrary commandments, teachings it's living, messy, interesting okay, so um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, I hope that you know prompts some some ideas about uh, about what I'm curious to see what what you think okay so um when I attended, I attended a Christian college, so a popular joke was to write, "Is this biblical?" on every bulletin poster, no matter the content, right? So maybe somebody might be, you know, selling textbooks or um, looking for lost glove or you know, there's some kind of, you know, football game or dance. Um, regardless of the content, somebody will always write, is this biblical? Okay? It's, it's like a joke on campus. But um, despite this absurdity, um, the question points to this elevated status of the Bible among Christians, among many Christians. Um, so the early Christians inherited the Old Testament as the scriptures, and then they also selected gospels and letters among those circulating to form the New Testament. So the word canon in the Greek literally means measuring stick. So the process of deciding which books should be included in the canon took place over several centuries. Okay, so This took like generations. But by the end of the 4th century, the canon was considered closed in the Western church. So as a canon, the Bible, the 66 books, um, that we have today in the Protestant Bible, functions as a standard by which Christians define beliefs and practices. So canonization can be a good way to distinguish Christianity from other religions. And the Bible also contains our only written description of the life of Jesus. However, the Bible has also been misused over the years to justify various kinds of harm. So we're gonna be addressing three questions in today's sermon on reading the Bible. What are potential fallacies and harms? What are faithful Bible reading practices? And how can reading the Bible draw us closer to God? So one of the key concepts about the Bible, which some of you mentioned uh, in the word cloud, is that it is divinely inspired, it is holy. So, Paul described the Old Testament scripture as God breathed. And throughout the history of God's people, as recorded in the Bible, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, was instrumental in bringing God's messages to God's people through the patriarchs, the prophets, the kings, Jesus, and the apostles. So, Moses uh, was told to inscribe the commandments on stone tablets. The prophets often delivered unpopular messages from God. And King David composed worship songs with the Spirit's inspiration. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue, was, were his last recorded words. Now Jesus said that the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him when he announced the purpose of his ministry in the local synagogue. And the early disciples were empowered by the Spirit to preach the Word of God, the good news that brought brought people to faith in Jesus. So the Spirit-inspired Word of God served different purposes at different times in the history of God's people. Divine inspiration describes a beautiful feature of the dynamic relationship between God and God's people as mediated by God's Spirit. So what mars this picture is a conflation between inspiration and authority when it is taken to the extreme. One of the most damaging assertions about the Bible is that because the Bible is divinely inspired, it is inerrant or infallible. So while these concepts, right, the errancy and fallibility, have been around in some form for many, many years, They were not explicitly stated among Protestant churches until a convention uh, in 1978 that included 268 Christian leaders. This took place in the U.S., representing 34 seminaries, 33 colleges, 41 churches, and 38 denominations. So, they drafted the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy as a reaction to what they perceived to be a dangerous movement among Bible scholars who had anti spirit supernatural views. So, for instance, some of these uh, scholars were questioning whether major portions of the Gospels about Jesus even happened as recorded, um, because they rejected miracles such as a virgin birth, uh, turning water to wine, healings, and Jesus' resurrection. So uh, number four of the short statements uh, from the Chicago Convention says, Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching. No less than what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, than in its witness to God's saving, grace, and individual lives. So this statement introduced a rigidity to understanding the Bible, such that every word was meant to be objectively true for all times and places, instead of being received by specific people for specific purposes. But this is a fallacy. It's a fallacy that divine inspiration necessarily leads to inerrancy. But rather... This position, this biblical inerrancy, was an extreme position taken by some influential Christians in response to another extreme position. And there are other Christians who take a slightly softer approach towards the Scripture. So they accept that there may be errors in tangential, scientific, and historical statements, but the Bible remains authoritative in communicating what God wants us to believe and how God wants us to live, especially in a matter of salvation. So this position is called infallibility. So for instance, the Methodist theologian Thomas A. Lambert said, to ignore or disobey the teachings of the scripture is to contradict its infallibility, which puts us on a completely different theological path altogether. So in other words, those who question what the Bible says are in danger of becoming heretical. Now, American Christianity has been influential among Singapore Protestant churches. So these positions of biblical inerrancy or infallibility may explain why um, some people think FCC is heretical. So we appear to defy the Bible by affirming same-sex relationships, uh, trans identities, and various forms of consensual and ethical expressions of love. Yes, there are some Christians Christians who are homophobic, transphobic, or just not well-informed, so they use the Bible to rationalize their bigotry. But others are driven by the need to defend the Bible in its entirety, and not doing so would be a slippery slope that leads one to question more traditional interpretations that are perceived to be non-negotiable for Christian faith and practice. So the views um, of the Bible as inerrant or infallible has the potential to lead to a second fallacy. If the Bible is without error, and I do or believe what the Bible says, then my actions and beliefs are also without error. So colloquially, this can be captured in a catchy phrase, right? The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. So a few years ago, I had a conversation with a colleague about the campaign uh, True Love Is. And uh, it told the stories of Christians who experience what they call same-sex attraction. Now she said that even if she feels uncomfortable supporting it, she's obligated to submit to the teachings of the Bible. And I don't think she's alone in committing the fallacy that conflates inerrancy of the text with inerrancy of one's position. So this fallacy has led to harms against women, people of other religions, other Christians who believe or practice differently, the LGBTQ community, as well as Christians' discomfort or even denial of science. So the next uh, mentee question is this. What examples of Bible misuse have you seen or experienced? What examples of Bible misuse have you seen or experienced? Abortion, violence, American exceptionalism, okay? No such thing as evolution, right? Women in ministry. Honor your parents in quotes. Interesting, <laughs> okay? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what comes to mind is that, you know, sort of that proverb, you know, spare the rod and spoil the child. It's been used to justify, like, you know, corporal punishment. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, justify war. Um, alright, misinterpretation friend says better to pray at home than attend prayer meetings because Jesus said so, okay anti-intellectualism intolerance okay, condemn homosexuality and loving relationships getting shut off from conversation, the moment I brought up different interpretations okay. anti-semitism, oh yeah that's, that's a good one Okay, so I mean, some of the other things that I think about is like, you know, uh, the word submission is used, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters, right? So the Bible, you know, condones slavery, right? Some people have, have used the Bible to justify that. Um, you know, some of you already mentioned, women must not teach. Definition of marriage, gender roles, right? That's another one that people have used the Bible to justify is that there are these, you know, different gender roles um, that are fixed. Okay. Uh, Baptism has something that has been divided, that has divided churches, tithing. There are certain laws in the Old Testament that I think there's some Christians still use to, you know, uh, rationalize things that were you know, to to like, for example, prohibition against wearing non-gender conforming clothing. That's that's one. All right. So um, I admit that this fallacy seems a bit of a straw man, right? It seems very simplistic and absurd. Like, how could people actually, you know? believe this, uh, but there are, and there are many traditional pastors, theologians, and lay people who understand the need to read the Bible in its original context, and not literally, right? So inerrancy doesn't mean uh, literalism, that's, that's another thing altogether. Um, so there are many traditionalists who work very hard to interpret the Bible, um, but, but here's the issue, is that the striving towards the, the correct understanding is part of the problem. So like I said earlier, having a canon is not a bad thing. But the strength of one's position on the inerrancy of the Bible seems to determine how likely one's interpretations will lead to dogmatism. So I argue that the higher the pedestal, the greater the likelihood of dogmatic beliefs and practices. And dogmatism divides Christians and leads to self-righteous judgment and treatment of others. So the path forward, the path forward is to reject the extreme positions along the spectrum between inerrancy and irrelevance. So let's, let's, let's go to the passage where Paul uh, wrote, about, uh, wrote to Timothy, his ministry partner in training about the scriptures. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So both tradition, right, what we learn, and reason, what we have become convinced of, because maybe not everything, maybe we're not convinced of by everything, okay? They matter when we read the Bible. In fact, Paul encouraged Timothy to actually revise his perspective of the Scripture so that they center on Christ. And here the Scripture referred to the Old Testament. The coming of Jesus changed how the Jewish Christians understood the Old Testament Scriptures. So the first purpose to read the Bible is that through the written Word of God, we are invited to encounter the living Word of God. So as John introduced Jesus in his Gospel... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And 2 Timothy 3.16 continues, right? So this is a famous one. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a very practical um, reason to read the Bible, which is, to, is training for ministry, which all Christians are called to, both in the church and in the world. So the important thing about reading the Bible is that it's bearing fruit in our lives. So instead of arguing over how we process, how we interpret, understand the input of God's word differently, right, let's assess the output, Is our reading of the Bible leading us to greater Christ likeness in our interactions with each other and in our service? Do we exhibit patience, kindness, graciousness, sincerity, and wisdom? So, how does the Bible prepare and sustain our service? So, Paul's description of Timothy's growth is developmental. He says, how from infancy you have known the scriptures. So as spiritual children, we are fed by others. Regardless of age, we still adopt a childlike posture when we receive God's word through the Sunday sermons or classes. We trust those who are feeding us. As spiritual adolescents, we use our reason to become convinced of what we're taught. So regardless of age, we adopt this adolescent-like posture when we're forming and reforming our beliefs and practice. And finally, as spiritual adults, we become those who are trusted to feed others because we have been acknowledged in a community to possess emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity and are able to offer wisdom in a gracious manner. So this developmental process isn't necessarily unique directional. In times of spiritual stagnancy or turbulence, it's helpful to adopt a childlike posture or an adolescent-like posture until one can, again, reach an equilibrium. So I don't advocate being always in flux about what one believes and practices. But being told never to question can also cause someone to leave their faith because they weren't given the opportunity to reconcile their concerns. So now we have these two central purposes of reading the Bible in mind, right? To encounter the living word and to become spiritually mature and equipped for ministry. So what are some guidelines for faithfully reading the Bible? How can we honor the text without worshiping it? So I propose three guidelines that I think work well with for both progressives and traditionalists. Okay? So three things. So first is to use meta-narratives. I'll go through each one in more detail. Uh, recurring themes trump isolated details, and interpretations can be contested. All right, so the first one. Meta narratives. So, meta narratives bring together the Bible's diverse stories and teachings in coherent ways. They describe the human condition and God's activity, and they help us to situate our own life story. So, I've listed some patterns up here. Um, there are more. Okay, this, These are just a few that I, that I could think of. Um, so the second one, there's shame, estrangement, restoration. I give that credit to Gary, um, which he offered as an alternative to the first one, the sin, separation, salvation. Uh, the bondage, liberation, flourishing, I thought about when I was uh, thinking about the Exodus story, right? how God brought the Israelites out from um, Egypt, where there were slaves, to, into the Promised Land. Uh, this pattern of rebellion, judgment, and rescue um, recurs in uh, the Book of Judges, as well as Kings and Chronicles. And then finally, the last one—justification, sanctification, and glorification um, It's a helpful way to, you know, to kind of read Paul's letters. Okay, because he has teachings here and there, and you know, but if you try to fit it into this narrative, they they, they kind of make sense. Okay, so the second guideline is that recurring themes trump isolated details. So again, here are some examples. It's not exhaustive. Uh, There are more. Um, But I'm going to go more into the first one, okay? So Jesus said that all the law and prophets hang on the two commandments, to love God and love one's neighbors. So we're called to discern the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law beneath the letter of the law. Now we live in very different social structures and norms compared to those who received the law, the prophecies, Jesus' teachings, and the apostles' letters. Right? This happened long, long times ago, thousands of years ago. So every generation has a challenging but necessary task of figuring out how to interpret and apply the Bible. So focusing on these general principles is a better use of our efforts than arguing over which verses should still be followed and which are no longer relevant. So let me give you three examples of what it means to discern the spirit of the law and what it might mean for us today. So for instance, the Sabbath, the Bible says a lot about the Sabbath, right? What does that have to do with us today, right? So this first example has to do with the weekly Sabbath. So by Jesus' time, the religious leaders have taken the Sabbath to a legalistic extreme. So they used the Sabbath law as a means of control and oppression. And Jesus reminded them that the Sabbath was made for people's well-being. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for people and not people for the Sabbath. So the basis for a Sabbath was twofold. The first was to follow God's example of resting on the seventh day from his work of creation. So just as God sat back and enjoyed being with his creation, so we are also invited to enjoy God's company um, as and with God's creation. And the second was to commemorate God's liberation of the Israelites from slavery. So when Moses delivered the 10 Commandments, he said, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, therefore, the Lord your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Slaves don't get Sabbaths, right They must work all the time. So practicing Sabbath is a regular reminder that they were no longer slaves in Egypt, but instead under God's benevolent rule. So when we practice rest on a regular basis, we are reminded that we are not slaves to our work, or to what work represents. More money, prestige, achievement, recognition, or a sense of worth. Our boss is not God. (laughs) Productivity is not God. And money is not God. Now the second example is the sabbatical year. Now in the law, after every seven years, the Israelites were not to do any planting during the eighth year. Plant and harvest your crops for six years, but let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own, leave the rest for wild animals to eat, and the same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. Although the text never explicitly said why, we know that modern science has shown that crop rotation is a practice of sustainable farming. So let's imagine if we were to fast from shopping for new, non-perishable things for an entire year. So we would do everything possible to fix things instead of replace them, to reuse instead of throw away, and to close the consumption loop through recycling. So I wonder how a sustained practice might fundamentally change our behavior, even after the fast is over. All right, so the third example is the year of Jubilee, which occurs every seven cycles of seven years. And Leviticus 25.10 says, Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family, property, and to your own clan. Also, interestingly, the value of land is relative to the years left until jubilee. So according to Leviticus 25.15, you are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. People can also sell their services. They and their buyer, to count the time from the year they sold themselves up to the year of Jubilee, the price for their release is to be based on the rate paid to a higher worker for that number of years. So in the 50th year, all indentured servants and their children are released, and all people retake ownership of their ancestral lands. So what does this mean? Well, it represents a -a once-in-a-lifetime reset from personal mistakes or misfortune that led people to sell their lands or themselves. And the effect is that it prevents unchecked accumulation of capital and concentration of wealth. And the spirit of the law here is consistent with how God stopped people from hoarding manna in the desert and how the early church shared their resources. So maybe we can see God's wisdom in protecting us from greed and obsession with our net worth. And maybe we should consider how to reset our standard of what is enough, and maybe even voluntarily redistribute the excess. And so I wonder what other ways we can practice the spirit of Jubilee. Now in establishing the various Sabbath laws, God had a vision for human flourishing. It's one that includes a healthy rhythm of work and rest, sustainable stewardship of natural resources, and limitations on the accumulation of wealth across generations. So by reading the law according to a general principle of loving God and loving one's neighbor, we can discover their relevance and challenge for us today. So going back to uh, these are some of the other themes. that we see, God's loyal and steadfast love through covenantal relationships, uh, messianic promise and portrayal, and justice for the exploited and mercy for the less fortunate. These are important themes. And interpreting the Bible through themes uh, not only helps us apply God's intent in our current age, but they also keep us from obsessing over the details. Alright, so the third Bible reading guideline is to acknowledge that interpretations can be contested. In this sermon series, we've been exploring which Christian concepts, often based on biblical interpretations, can be problematic. So when this occurs, we are contesting traditional understandings. So I was raised in a traditional church from young. I spent years in Sunday school memorizing Bible verses. And I was taught that the mark of a good Christian was to study the Bible regularly and read it daily for devotional purposes. So I thought that I had more or less the right interpretations, right? And I just need to put them into practice. But since coming to FCC, my faith has grown from seeing the text from perspectives different from my own. So for instance, I never thought of the idea that there could be an alternative to the meta-narrative of sin, separation, salvation. And listening to different interpretation challenged my assumption that there was only one way to understand the stories about Adam and Eve. And it also helped me to see that the alternative narrative of shame, estrangement, restoration, is logically consistent, is legitimate, and it could be a more helpful way of, for some Christians to relate to God. Now, progressives can also be respectful of multiple interpretations and not simply claim that the newest interpretation is necessarily better than the previous ones. So the statement on inerrancy, remember, was a reaction to the extreme shift towards dismissing the Bible's authority entirely. Now we can disagree right, about how far is too far, uh, but that's what contestation means. Uh, But I hope that we can do so respectfully and being open to changing our minds. So here's an important point. What is true for someone is what's helpful for their spiritual growth in the current season. So even if we don't agree on the meaning of the text, we can appreciate the diversity of perspectives and support each other's spiritual journeys. All right. The final section of the sermon has to do with how reading the Bible can draw us closer to God. So while the guidelines help us become better at analyzing, understanding the Bible in a cognitive sense, we can also read the Bible in a way that engages our imagination, our intuition, and our emotions. Now, the purpose of this kind of reading is to reveal Jesus, the living Word of God, to you, in a personal and subjective way that draws you into a deeper relationship with God, that strengthens your faith, and that empowers you to follow Jesus in the world. I've shared some of this before, so I'll just briefly describe each of these. Selective divina means sacred listening. A Bible text is slowly read several times, And the listener is invited to prayerfully discern a word or phrase that is personally significant. On subsequent readings, the listener remains focused on the word or phrase and dialogues with God to better understand what God might be speaking uh, through that word or phrase to address a specific need or situation. And if done in a group setting, people can be invited to share what they hear from God. So just a couple of days ago, Friday... I attended NDP, which stands for Noonday Prayer, at the Center for Christian Formation. So we practice lectio divina using James five seven to eleven. It's a long passage, right? So be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crops from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about, for the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So if I were approaching this text with the intention of studying it, I might be drawn to repeated words here like patience, endurance. And I may be curious about the context, right? The situation that was happening in the church that James was addressing. I might try to identify which meta-narratives to situate the second coming, right? The judge standing at the door and I may also think about how to apply these lessons to my life but because we were practicing Lectio Divina I sense God impressing on my heart just two words late rains so I felt that God was using this metaphor to talk to me about my life I saw that God was a farmer I was a precious seed that God has been nurturing and was excited to see what shape my life would take. So moving to Singapore in my, late, in my mid-30s has been very disruptive. I lost my career trajectory, my cultural capital, uh, fitness habits, and a church ministry where I was excited to serve. So I felt God telling me that I am in a different season that has its own rains, the late rains. Both the early and the late rains are necessary for the plants to grow to maturity, and I felt strengthened in my desire to grow according to God's will. So Lectio Divina is subjective and personal. So maybe the word that struck you here is precious, or near, or blessed, right? So whatever the word is, you don't have to worry that it's not the central point of the text. You're not studying the text. You're you're praying through the text. So let God's spirit help you to discern what God wants to say to you. So the second practice um, is contemplation. So this refers to uh, using one's imagination to place oneself in a Bible story. The character can be uh, one that's already in the story or that one that you invent. And you use your five senses to imagine what you see, hear, touch, taste, or smell. So you select a text, a story, and you read through it several times to become familiar with it. So maybe you are uh, a guest at a banquet where Jesus was present. So you might imagine what sounds or voices do you hear, right? Not just Jesus, but what are the other people saying? What foods do you smell? How does it taste? How does the water feel when you wash your feet at the door? What does Jesus sound like, right? Not just his words, but, you know, what what are the inflections? You know, what words are you emphasizing? And what is his facial expression? And also, what do you feel when you notice Jesus looking at you? So I find it really helpful to write uh, what I'm imagining as I slowly venture through the narrative. And so contemplation means savoring the text and seeking to encounter God. And for both of these practices, it's okay not to experience any significant revelations right, every time. You can always just rest quietly in God's love. All right, so to summarize the three parts, right? Um, the first point is that when people place the Bible in a very elevated status, a very high pedestal, there's a tendency towards dogmatic beliefs and practices, which increases the likelihood of misusing the Bible to divide and to judge. The second point consists of three guidelines for reading the Bible through meta-narratives, themes, and respecting multiple interpretations. And the final point is that we can read the Bible relationally through practices that engage our imagination and emotions. That is all I have for you today, so let us pray. God, lead us by your Spirit to encounter the living Word through the written Word that we may be equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen.
6: We have now come to a time of communion If you are joining us online now will be a good time to prepare your elements so that we can partake of it together We gather each Sunday at this table even though at this time we are not all physically together the table of God's feast transcends time and space because God's love Transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. When Jesus sat at tables and broke bread with the tax collectors, lawyers, rich elites, and poor peasants, he proclaimed that God's radical love and abiding presence know no bounds. Through these occasions of sharing food, every person experienced God and shared in God's kingdom. Together, a A kingdom kingdom where where all are are welcome, welcome, all are worthy, and all are are invited. A kingdom kingdom where where times are transformed and empowered, empowered and and the fruits of God's gentle justice
1: bloom throughout creation.
6: All people, including each of us, are invited to share in this sacred meal of celebration and be strengthened by the the presence of God in this place. We remember remember that Jesus Jesus fed five thousand hungry hungry
1: people people with five loaves of bread and two fish.
6: At this miraculous meal, there was such an abundance that everyone ate until they were full. And there were even twelve baskets of Food left over. Holy
1: Holy God, God, we we celebrate celebrate your your abundant care and solidarity solidarity revealed in this meal.
6: We remember that while sharing a meal with the Pharisees, Jesus welcomed a woman viewed as an outsider. As the woman anointed his feet with oil, Jesus declared her dignity before everyone at the meal. Holy
1: Holy God, We celebrate your gracious inclusiveness revealed in this meal.
6: At these meals, Jesus and all his disciples resisted the divisions, injustice and violence of society. They lived out instead the kingdom of God, a place of love, justice and mutuality. And we also recognize that not all people like Jesus' ministry. For some people, it was scandalous.
1: They said, look, look, a glutton glutton and a a drunkard, a friend friend of of tax tax collectors collectors and sinners.
6: When his arrest seemed near, Jesus ate a meal in an upper room with the disciples. As he had done so many times before, he took bread and after having given things to you, holy God, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, this time saying, do this to remember me. After the meal, he shared the wine, gave thanks, and said, I will not drink from this cup again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. May I now invite the stewards to come forward and distribute the elements. Jesus was then unjustly killed by the systems of his denomination of his day. To some of his frightened disciples, it seemed that the bread symbolizes his broken body and the wine his blood. Together,
1: God, God the, the kingdom, kingdom of God, Lord persisted and, and persists today to through the many people who seek to be your resurrection, resurrection community. community. Holy God, in the sharing of this bread and wine, we joyfully celebrate The hope inspiring ministry and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
6: May we partake of elements. Invite you to stand if you're willing and able. Together, creation. May this meal food before us and Emmaus, Emmaus, Emmaus
1: meal. Will we encounter your presence, your presence in, in the sharing of, of this bread. Food, food as the disciples did at the meal in Mayus.
6: May the sharing of this food be a taste of your kingdom, holy God, so we may be strengthened to be your joyful and hopeful disciples.
1: And may we We share share in your your kingdom kingdom of love, love, justice and and mutuality with with those around us.
6: Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You may pass the cups to the centre so that the stewards can collect it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Wendy, for the sermon. Indeed, it was a long sermon. <laughs> but, yeah, as I was listening to it, I was like nodding my head, nodding my head, nodding my head, until you talk about the Sabbath and the Jubilee year. it's like, ah, oh, so uncomfortable to have a reset in life every 50 years. I think this is the same for all of us, you know. Well, I may not be at the top of the pyramid, but I'm not at the bottom either. So everything that makes us, you know, Reset and then like Make everything equal again It's bound to be uncomfortable Even though the tagline of free FCC where free stands for First realize everyone's equal Yeah, we want to be equal but not equal in that way You know, kind of thing So, but Yeah, but I think that's the thing about FCC sermons You know, you agree with some things Some other things make you uncomfortable And then you got to go back and think about it How should you actually incorporate this In your daily practice of your faith And whether is it something that you want to uh, follow, and or you want to just put it aside and reconsider again? Because uh, FCC is not a church where you know you have to listen to everything from the pulpit, and then there's no other way. There's only one way. Sorry, if you don't agree with us, bye bye to you. So I welcome all of you once again to the Sunday service of uh, Free Community Church. I hope uh, whether you are watching us online or you are here on site. Uh, That you enjoyed and then had learned from the sermon If you are watching us online, please remember to click like and subscribe to the YouTube channel So that the algorithms of this video will actually be sent out to more people And more people can actually watch us and uh, know of us So this is, now we have come to, not the announcement But now I would like to welcome the newbies Okay. If you're new to us, I see quite a few new faces today. If you're new to us, we actually have a well no, we actually have a newcomers meeting every month. So today's newcomers meeting is actually today, immediately after service at the back of the church. So if we do not have any of your contact, you may actually fill out your contact by scanning the QR code or go to fcc.lee slash welcome uh, to actually fill out the contact so someone can reach out to you. Our next new the slide actually tells us our next new comments meeting is on twenty fourth. But today we are here today, and you like to join us to talk to the pastors, to talk to some of the leaders, to find out whether is FCC indeed heretical or not. Uh, you are welcome to uh, join us immediately after service. Now we have come to the collection segment of the service. Uh, you may give FCC actually has got two funds. One is a general fund, uh, and one is the building fund. We are actually trying our very best to kind of like uh, pay off uh, the building fund within this year before the interest rate goes up any further. So you may give by scanning the two QR codes uh, by pay now or you may give by credit card at freecomchurch.gift.asia that uh, channel actually charges a platform fee of 1.5% and that only goes to the FCC general fund. So before I invite the stewards to come up, let's pray. In God, we thank you for being our creator and that all of us have got an individual and unique relationship with you. But we are also aware that you created us to be in community. We give thanks for the FCC family, where we can agree to come, to agree to disagree, that there is no one way to experience your love. And that as we gather, We support each other in learning to be closer to you And learning to question our faith Not just listening to a set of rules and regulations Preached at the pulpit God, we would like and want more people to experience This as a faith journey towards you So we continue to give thanks for the giving And we continue to pray for wisdom and guidance in using our resources so that more and more will get to know you and know your love for them. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Now I'd like to invite the stewards to come forward. If you'd like to drop something into the collection bag, you may just raise your hands. Today we have got some short announcements only. So the very first announcement is... T-Mart. T-Mart is our ministry of outreach to the transgender, elderly transgender community out there We, As and when there is a need, we actually collect uh, household items uh, to give to them and groceries to give to them So there's actually two ways to donate, one is you, there's a group buy, two there's a cash donation Today is actually the closing date and on 3rd of September they are going to deliver To the recipients of this t So if you have any queries You may WhatsApp Kin at the number listed above Next Uh, ACE Snow Snow skin moon cake making Uh, Snow skin moon cake making Is actually an after church event Uh, FCC tries to run an after church event Every month Uh, This is one of that And this is the first one that has got Tremendous response And is already closed So there's like 17 registrants for this So now we know when food, when it comes to food, people want to come, right? So don't do anything else but just prepare food, all right? So this will be held on 3rd of September For those who have already signed up, you will have received an email to request for payment So please remember to pay before you show up on 3rd of September, thank you Next, FCC membership FCC membership is like, you know, being a citizen of Singapore You get to vote for your president and next year you get to vote for your MPs, etc so FCC membership gives you a chance to have a voice and a vote in. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what FCC membership privileges are. Okay, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. To vote for the board, okay, you get a chance to vote for the board, to represent you, to take in your opinions, and you get a, you get a vote for the budget of FCC. All right. If you are a friend of FCC, you can. Talk, 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 but then your your, your your talking may count a bit, but when it comes to the actual voting, it doesn't count. So if you want to have a say in how you want FCC to be in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, or in the next 50 years, before we reset ourselves again, so then maybe please uh, consider signing up for FCC membership. Closing date is 31st of August, 2023. You may sign up at fcc.ly slash membership. Now we'll invite the pastor to come up and give the benediction.
1: May I invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the benediction. God, you who have breathed into our lives in so many ways. You who have inspired us and you who continue to breathe into us. May we align ourselves to your will, to your guidance, transformed in that process so that we may become more in Christ-likeness, to transform the world, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. So go, go knowing that God is always with you. Whether you are on the mountain or whether the mountain's in your way, God is with you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good week ahead.